Well, good morning, church. Are we ready to worship our king this morning? Welcome to church, man. This is the family of God right here. We get to come into the house. We get to be with one another. We get to laugh a little bit. Maybe for some of us, we'll end up crying today. I don't know. We get to do all kinds of things as the family of God. But today, the one thing we get to do together that is so honoring is we get to worship our king. Amen? This is a privilege. And I just love the fact that I know right now, around our nation, around our world, this is where the believers are coming together to lift their praise up to the king. And I'm believing that as we do this this morning, right, transformation is available to everybody in this room. I'm believing that transformation is available to our community. And I believe things are going to start to shift, not just in your families, but all around the world. And so let's lay down all the stuff, right? We have to do it every time. We just got to lay it down because it's there, right? Let's lay down the stuff and let's come to the one we know that can shift and change it all and give him glory. Amen? So, Father, this morning we just say, have your way. Have your way in this place. We say you are worthy of praise regardless of what's going on in our life. You are worthy. And so, Father, this morning we will lift our hands. We will lift our voice. God, we will declare that you are good. We will declare that you are faithful. We will say that you are amazing. And today we will just honor you because you are you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Body, let's worship him today. You know, I think sometimes when we come into worship, I'm not sure if you can feel it, but sometimes it feels like we're in a bit of a tug of war. Do you get that feeling sometimes when you come in? It's, it's just a little bit of work sometimes, right? And I think this is very similar to our journey every single day. We're always being pulled in one direction, but we're always trying to go in another one. And I feel even when we come into the house of God, that pulling doesn't stop. That pulling actually never stops. And there's a part of us that has to push past that pulling, that tug of war that takes place. You know, to go to these places, it, it takes that. It takes faith to trust that we can go to that next place, that next realm. Derek, why don't you come on up? Derek just shared something so, to me, in some ways so simple but so hard, right, that shifts and alters our journey so very quickly. And it really is about entering into that realm where certain things just can't come with it, right? Uh, first, I want to say those ropes, those bonds, those things that bind us are very real. But they only are real in a certain realm, uh, a certain soul realm. There is a realm of glory. There's a realm of the presence of the Lord. There's a realm of the, of the Spirit where those bonds simply cease to exist. They don't even have to be broken off or bound or anything like that. They're just, they cease to exist. This is why the, the men that were thrown into the fiery furnace were walking around in the furnace without their bonds on because in the presence of Jesus in the fire, those bonds simply ceases to exist. And so we corporately want to 
come into that realm, come into that sphere where the, where the presence of the Lord, where we're at a higher place in God and those bonds do not hold us down anymore. Those bonds that restrict us in our mindset, those bonds that restrict us in our worship, those bonds that restrict us in our finances, those bonds that restrict us in our health, those bonds are simply cease to exist in a place in the Lord. So Lord, we just open ourselves up this morning. We long for your presence. We long for the name of the Lord. That strong tower, that safe place, that place without restriction, without bondage, without strings attached. And we say, Lord, this morning we would come up. If you call us, we would say yes and respond and come up into your realm, Lord. This is the journey we're on, to leave everything else behind and pursue Him. And when we are able to do this, right, it's such a beautiful picture. If you need motivation to go forward in your faith, I pray that this is motivation enough that those ropes have no more power. Those ropes are severed as we draw closer and closer to our King. Can we say amen to that? So, Father, put something inside of us that won't stop short, that won't quit due to whatever's going on, place inside of us a desire that we didn't know what could be possible, a passion. Not just for right now on a Sunday, but for when these same moments happen in our daily journey and we're feeling the pressure and we're feeling pulled back in, but we can actually just get closer to Him and all of a sudden that stuff fades away again. So Father, we desire to draw closer to the Father. Your Word says it. If we draw near to You, all these things will be added to us. We don't have to work at it. We just got to draw close to Him with everything in us. I feel like God right now is just saying that I want you to stop working so hard at trying to kill some of this stuff and bury it and try to pretend like it's not going on. I want you just to come closer and closer and closer to me. Oh, can we say amen to that? I mean, this is the journey. We're on to be made more and more like Him. That is the journey. The closer we get, oh, I get excited about that. Eventually, that stuff that has a hold on you today will not have a hold on you. That stuff that has a hold on your mind, it will no longer have a hold on your mind. There is a freedom that we can walk in as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, and it takes, I feel it even right now. Because I can say that, but I mean, there is a faith that we have to start to walk in. I'm telling you, there is going to come a time where we walk in here and the overflow of what's going on in you, in you is what's going to guide and lead this service. That when our faith is at that place, we don't have to conjure nothing up. This has nothing to do with the worship team. It has nothing to do with me as a person. 
I can't do that. It's literally what God does in each of our hearts. And when a body gets to that place where they're walking in faith, I'm going to tell you something. Everything shifts. I know there are people in here who need healing. I know there are people in here who need financial breakthrough. I know there are circumstances in your homes and in this community. And I know that as we, as the body of Christ, walk in a place of deeper faith, that stuff begins to fall. It begins to shift. I don't want to try to conjure up a body. I want the body coming because their faith is there. That is the cry of the church, is that our faith would rise to that level. We wouldn't even need a preacher. You hear me? We wouldn't even need a preacher at all. This is some of our stuff we've created. Man, he's very capable of shifting, transforming, and changing everything. Oh, I want that to happen, body. Not just for us. For entire communities and for a nation who needs it right now. Can we say amen? I mean, I could just keep going and keep preaching here, but can we say amen? I'm going to go back into half this stuff anyway. All right. Pastor Chris is speaking this morning. I'm telling you, man, there's so much going on right now. Do you feel that? Like in the spirit, there's so much going on, but there's just so much going on. I mean, Mark's in Finland right now. You know, we've got people away at conferences. There's a lot going on, and I believe there's a lot going on for a reason, right? I feel like there's been a lot of attacks thrown towards our community, a lot of attacks thrown towards our nation in the last little while, to the point where we have just seen them. It's been as clear, right, as daylight. We can just see what's been going on. And I feel like what's going on in the secular world What's been happening out there is a bit of a wake-up call for the church, right? Because I feel like some of this stuff is allowed to happen because it's waiting for the church to rise up. It's almost like a bit of a wake-up call, right? You ever been asleep and someone's alarm goes off or someone just shoves you right? It's a bit of a wake-up call to the church. There's stuff going on out there, and I feel like God's not only preparing his church, right? He's preparing his bride, right? He is. We know that. But he's got some deeper plans right now. And I feel like, like would you say we've seen a lot of chaos in the last couple of years? I think we all say we've seen a lot of chaos. And I feel like, I don't think the chaos will stop until the church actually rises up, Right? You know what I mean? I I don't think it'll stop until the church rises up. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit, and how many of you are Oilers fans? Not many. Well, I watched uh, the Oilers in Pittsburgh game. Did anybody watch that one? Some of you guys watched that one, right? That's, again, if you're not a sports person, that's okay. You'll, You'll understand this, right? Because enough people talk about it that you know our, our Oilers are a very interesting team. And I watched that game, and as I watched that game, i got to be honest with you, hockey's not good for me. 
All right, I, I shared in the past I've had some heart issues, right? You know, and so hockey's not a good thing for me now. I just want to say something, because I've had three people ask me about my heart this morning, right, already. And just as a testimony, I went and did my stress test like a week ago, right? And when I went into imaging, I didn't tell everybody about this, but when I went into imaging, right, I looked at the guy and I said, is everything A-OK? And he looked at me and he said, well, you got a few things to work on. And I said, well, what does that mean? Right? And he said, well, it looks like you got a couple leakages going on in there. Right? And, of course, you got an irregular heartbeat. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, it means you're probably going on medication for sure. Right? And I said, all right. All right. Whatever. And i got to be honest, I was a little surprised when that happened, right? Because I'm still young. Right? My kids won't say that. I'm 49 years old. I'm still young, right? You know, this stuff shouldn't be happening. And so uh, I know people have been praying and all that stuff, and so I, I went and did my stress test last week, and uh, I met with uh, my cardiologist, and my cardiologist just looked at me, and he said, there's nothing going on, right? There's nothing going on. And I said, well, the imaging guy said a whole bunch of other stuff. He goes, I don't care what he said. Right? There's nothing going on. He goes, you don't need meds. You don't need nothing. Right? So that's done. Right? I ain't worried about that one anymore. I looked at him and I said, so I can do what I want, when I want, how I want? Yes, you can. Right? I said, I can go skydiving? Yes, you can. I'm going to go skydiving. Absolutely. <laughs> well, back to them Oilers. Let me tell you something about that hard thing for me. That was a bit of a wake-up call, wasn't it? Well, those Oilers in that first period, me and I thought I was going to have another heart attack because they were horrible. It was nasty stuff, right? They were outshot like 22 to 4 or 5. I think it was 3 nothing. And I'm like, I cannot watch. Do you watch the game, Rick? Yeah, you don't even watch it anymore. It's so bad, right? This was a terrible, terrible game. So I have to be honest, I turned it off, right? Did you turn it off? You didn't, say. Eh? I turned it off because I don't have a lot of faith in the Oilers, right? <laughs> you know, I turned it off for a bit, and in my phone, though, it has the notifications on it, so it will ding, 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 and I'm like, oh, it's probably 7 nothing, you know? And I check my phone, and all of a sudden it's, uh, I think, 3-2 two, three, two or 3-3, three, three, right? By the time the second period was done, the Oilers were up 5-3. Right? Ended up winning the game 6-3. Outshot Pittsburgh, I think it was like 24-5 to in the second period. Right? It's like watching a different team. It was like watching a team that was never going to make the playoffs. And then all of a sudden it was watching a team that could win the Stanley Cup. Right? Something shifted. I mean, they got humiliated. They got hit hard. Right? It was kind of ugly. It was a wake-up call. And they realized something. Right? They realized something needed to change. And just because you have Connor McDavid doesn't mean you're going to win. Right? They realized something very quickly. If we don't play as a team, we're not going to win. Doesn't matter. We've got the Fastest player in the world, 
guys setting records left and right, if our defense doesn't play a certain way, it doesn't matter how many goals we score, we're not going to win. We've got a goalie, too. I mean, we can outshoot the other team 40 to 7, but if he lets in seven goals and we only score two, we're going to lose. So I think, well, there's realize something, man. We've got to play as a team. Everybody's got to do their part. When everybody does their part, all of a sudden we're able to accomplish way more than we'll ever realize. Right? And this is the body of Christ, is it not? Right? When we begin to realize who we are, I wanted some background music. That would be perfect, right? That's awesome. But when we begin to realize who we are and who we're called to be, and when we begin to realize, guess what? We all need to work with everybody in here. Right? I don't care if we feel like we're Connor McDavid or not. It just doesn't work, does it? We have to work together. And here's the deal, right? Connor McDavid gets all the attention, doesn't he? Sometimes that most important player is the defenseman or somebody else. So some roles get glorified over other roles, but it doesn't matter. Because the entire body is needed to accomplish the will of the Father. Amen? Isn't that true? Well, I'm telling you, man, we are called to live by faith. And this morning I saw something that was really amazing because I wrote something down in my notes. And uh, our dancers did something very unique, right? I don't know if you were watching them over here. Anybody see that? I don't know if it looked weird to you, but they're all like falling down into each other's arms for a little bit, right? Did you see that? Who came up with that? Well, why did you do that? Do you know why you did it? What do you think it represented? Do you know? She's looking at me. I got no clue. I got no clue why we did that, but we just did that, all right? So hold on to that for a second, all right? Because that's a very interesting thing. Now, there's a scripture in Romans 1, verse 17. It says this. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. As the body of Christ, we are required to what? Is that easy? That is hard. Can we be honest? It's hard. We tell you guys all the time, just trust in God, David. Right? That's hard, isn't it? It's true. It's hard. I think we know how to say, oh, yeah, I trust in God, no problem. But it's hard, right? I literally wrote on here right after that. I said, do you, uh, do you remember when the church used to do the faith falls? Do you remember those things? <laughs> right? We were really stupid. We did them in youth groups and all that stuff, Right? You know, we would love to do it from the highest place possible. You get someone standing on our table or whatever it was, and you had eight people on each side with their arms there, and you tell that person to turn around backwards and fall backwards. Right? It's like five to eight feet. It's the scariest thing in the world to do. Right? Scariest thing in the world to do. But for us to accomplish what it is we need to accomplish at the church, it's the very thing we need to figure out. Is how to walk by faith and not by sight. So... I'm watching these guys this morning thinking, what are they doing? <laughs> and I'm watching them going, it's almost like they're, they're doing many little faith falls. 
right? Falling into each other's arms and get caught. And it was perfect time in the song, right? It was just all meant to be, right? I love that because I'll tell you something. I know the Lord's speaking about something today. And he's speaking about this. It's going to require faith. And this is the journey we're on. And so today, as I go into my message more, this is what I want to get into. It's just about faith. It's about the journey. It's about what God's doing in our lives. So before I do that, where is he? Where's Mr. Max? Yeah, Max. Come on, get off that camera for a second. Everybody know Max? Give this guy a hand. I love Max. How you doing? Sweating yet? Don't, don't look at the lights. Yeah, just don't do that, right? Yeah. Doesn't he look good? I mean, this guy looks awesome. And uh, I, I just love this guy. And I love his journey. I love his story. And so I asked him just to share a little bit of his testimony, probably, what, like six months ago? Yeah, and I said, it might be this Sunday. It might be next Sunday. And here we are six months later. And so Max has had to be ready for six months straight, right? <laughs> So he's ready right now, and he's going to share a little bit of his testimony, and we'll see what he says. I may ask him a question or two, but we'll figure it all out. But, Max, we're excited that you get to share your testimony with us right now as a body, right? And we're thankful you're part of this church, right? So we welcome you to share your testimony with us. We're excited to hear this. Uh, I don't know where to start because I've never spoken in front of this many people before without something in front of my face, but... My testimony starts with the basic thing. It's like I've been coming here for two years. Prior to that, I did not have the best life. I would go out to bars late. I'd be partying, gambling a lot, a lot of of substance abuse, and then a few other weird things on top of that. So when Chris challenged me in about March, April last year to like break off some of the things that were holding me back, I originally was like, yeah, I'll do it in a year. A year further than the 15 years I was already doing things. And then he said, that's not good enough, so do it September. I agreed to September. I got married that May. And then two weeks after, I went to a work trip in Jasper with my dad and a bunch of my buddies who I worked with. And we were on a hike, me and my one friend, sitting there doing drugs, like normal thing. And I just looked at my hand, looked at the creek in front of me threw everything in the creek, got up, kept walking. I come back a day or two later, go home, find everything I thought I could find, and just threw it in the garbage bag, and then immediately change a cat litter, throw that in the garbage bag as well, stop myself. About a couple months later, I switched jobs. I had a day off, and I found stuff I thought I got rid of, and I didn't want to go home the next day right away without Michelin. So we go home, same thing, throw it out, cat litter again, like, just make sure there's nothing to do. And it's been really great since then. Uh, I started talking about it at my current job. My boss actually studied at Vanguard College, so it's really great to have somebody that's that knowledgeable about different things. Actually, she gave me this lovely pin when I told her that I finally quit after 15 years of doing stuff. Uh, it was hard, though, because... To not have the best teenage years because of stress, uh, not knowing who I was for a while, 
some like rough times in general. And then when I turned 20, I had a kid, lost the rights to my child, and that hit me harder and put me downward even worse for about five years. And I think I was like three years starting to come out of that, getting a bit better when I got to actually come here. And everybody that's been so supportive has made me a bit more happier and open about what I do and what I've done. So I don't feel like as bad inside. And there's hope that I can like re reattach those things I lost, like even with my own child. I don't have much else to say. I'm glad that my mom actually got to come here today. She's crying, so somebody give her tissues. Uh, I would have loved for more of my family to be here because for some of you who have met my sister, she is doing youth ministry in Red Deer, so she couldn't be here today. She also had no clue, neither did I. But, yeah, if, do you want to ask questions? I can, I can answer. I don't mind. How long have you been a Christian for? Just so everybody knows. I've been a Christian for two, just over two years now. And then a bunch of you saw me fully give myself to God last year. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you become a Christian? I became a Christian not by convenience like it first looked like. I started dating Michelin. The talks was, we should go to church. I started watching online in my apartment with her on Sundays. And then one day I started coming here after I had an accident, my piece of equipment I ran almost fell off a trailer while I was loading it. And I go home that night scared, and I was like, I'm going to actually go to church. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do this on my own, because there's, there's got to be a reason I didn't die doing that. And that was the biggest thing. That's good, man. That's awesome. Okay, give this guy a hand. You know, sometimes we want to, I just really love Max, and I love sitting in and and having these meetings with him in Michelin, right? And we're there to talk about pre-marriage stuff, but we get into all these other things, right? And we get chatting about, you know, some of the addiction things that he's struggling with, you know? And again, his word to me was, well, I'll wait a year and then I'll deal with it. And I felt like, why would you give yourself a year? Why would we give us permission for one year, right? Why don't we just see what Jesus does? right? Let's not say a year. Let's just see what he does, right? And your role, your responsibility is just to draw closer to him, begin to study him, get to know him. Let's see what he does, right? And try to function with some self-control, right? And so I'm so proud because did you say how long it took you, Max? Like it wasn't a year. It was how long? It was like, was it three months? Three, four months. One of the hardest things to do is to break addiction. I love his testimony so much. It's just, again, the power of Jesus Christ and what he does. Right? Because we know, we've talked to people with addictions and it's years and years and years and years. But, Jesus... This is what he can do, right? So today I, I want to chat a little bit more about, not necessarily capacity, but I feel like God wants us to begin to master our craft. I feel like there are some specific things God wants us to work on individually. And I think sometimes we don't necessarily go after it because it's hard. And 
I think sometimes our life situations, there's stuff that goes on and all that, and we often want to, you know, assume our life is terrible and God has forgotten about me. And I'm actually going to say this. I actually think God is developing a craft within you, right? Because he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. Nothing happens unless it goes through his door. And so he is trying to raise you up. He is trying to develop you into the person he wants you to be. Do we all agree with that? But sometimes we don't like the process of that, right? I mean, some of us have some crafts we love, right? There are some things I've worked on for years, right? I've worked on my love for sports. I know a lot about statistics. I know right now I could point to five or six guys in this room, and I could ask them every quarterback in the NFL, and they could tell me all of their names, right? We have worked on our craft in certain areas, right? For some of us, it might be music, right? We have an amazing team, don't we? How long have you been playing for, Ken? Right? He has been working on his craft for years, diligently, right? And we have seen the fruits of him working on his craft for years, right? Because he allowed the Lord to do a process in him. And I mean, Ken is not the most, what, I would say, you don't love being in massive people crowds. <laughs> Anybody know Ken? It's not his favorite thing. I've asked him for 20 years to speak, and he's like, nope, nope. But for 30-some years, he's been sitting right there singing Sunday after Sunday, right? Functioning in his craft, the very thing that God has said, I want you to do this. This is your calling. But all I do is sit in one place all the time. This is your calling, right? You're a doorkeeper right here, Ken. This is what I've called you to do. Are you willing to do it? And will you master the craft even more and more and more and more? See, I know for a fact that God is trying to develop crafts in all of us, right? He's trying to develop whatever it is, our calling, right? My wife would say right now, I know she's probably watching. You know, I told her not to, but she's watching. I know you're watching because she's going to bug me all about it when I get home and pick out all my flaws and all that stuff, right? She's saying, you need to master your craft more when you speak, right? (laughs) Thanks, honey. She would say, you need to master your craft more around the house when it comes to cleaning and being romantic. (laughs) Some things are impossible, right? (laughs) I'll work on it, honey. I love you. Oh, she is watching. I just went online. Turn it off. I want to talk about a story we're all familiar with, right? To me, it's probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, right? David and... (laughs) The first one that came out was Goliath. I mean, a story that isn't just known by the church world, right? I mean, this story is known by most people. Right? If I'm even in the schools teaching and whatnot, people know the story of David and Goliath. Right? And people love it because it's all about what? The underdog. The, underdog, the little guy. Attack the giants in your life, right? Knock them down with one swing, kind of, right? Sling. Oh, I said sling. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. Right? One stone. That's even better, right? 
So we know the story, most of us. Now, not everybody. And I realize there might be some people in here. Maybe you don't know the story of David and Goliath, and I'm going to read it, right? Because I think it's important that we do. All right, so let's do this. I'm going to start in uh, verse 3. I might skip a few things here and there, right? Because it's a long story. Um, But verse 3, it says, uh, So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings. He slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, an armor bared an armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a huge shield. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, Do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you, and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in a single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slave. But if I kill him, you will be our slave. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now I'm skipping over to verse 14. It says, now we're talking a little bit about David, and it says, David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. Since David's three oldest brothers were in the army, they stayed with Saul's forces all the time. But David went back and forth between working for Saul and helping his father work with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day Jesse said to David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring me back a letter from them. I'm sure David was really excited about this task, right? Make your brothers ham and cheese sandwiches. Bring them to him. Ask him how they're doing. Bring me the letter and let me know how they're doing. This is David's job, right? Really exciting one. David's brothers were, were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David, let the sheep, uh, so David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts. He arrived at the outskirts of the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, he saw Goliath, the champion from Gath, come out from the Philistine ranks, shouting his challenge to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have have you seen the giant, the men were asking? He comes out each day to challenge Israel. And have you heard about the huge reward the king has offered to anyone who kills him? The king will give him one of his daughters for a wife, 
and his whole family will be exempt from paying taxes. Right on. David talked to some others standing there to verify the report. What will a man get for killing the Philistine and putting an end to this abuse in Israel of Israel? He asked them, Who is this pagan Philistine anyways that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And David received the same reply as before. What you have been hearing is true. That is the reward for killing the giants. But when David's oldest brothers, Elab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to take care of? I know you're about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. Isn't that a fun thing, right? Again, we know this. This is the brother and sister or the brother and brother rivalry that's right there. Get out of here, right? You're not even supposed to be here at all. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go fight this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a boy, and he has been in the army uh, since he was a boy. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take and take the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Like, can you just get this image in your mind right now? That's what I did on Tuesday, right? I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bears will save me from the Philistines. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the swords over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not going to use them. So he took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then Armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across to fight Goliath. Goliath walked out towards David with, a shield, with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shouted in reply, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Again, the imagery is amazing. And then I will give the dead bodies to your men, to the birds, and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it from his sling at 
and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face first towards the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant, and with one stone and a sling, and since uh, he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill the giant and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the Israelites gave a great shout of triumph after, after, and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and the wounded Philistines were strewn, strewn all along the road of Shemer. Some of these words are fun, aren't they? As far as Gath and Ekron, then the Israelites' army returned and plundered and destroyed Phil- the Philistine camp. I'm going to stop right there. I think that's good enough. Now, as I'm reading that, we've read that story many times. And again, if this is your first time, it's, it's one of the most pivotal stories, I think, in the Bible, right? Because we all have Goliaths in our life. We all have circumstances and situations in our life, right? Tons of things, not just individually, but I feel as churches, there's massive Goliaths. as the body of Christ right now. There's massive Goliaths all over the place. I look at him and I can see him. I look at our school systems, right? There's a massive Goliath in our land. There's some things that need to shift. The number one thing the enemy is going after is families. Destroying what it means to be a family. Shifting everything about it. Because he knows if he can destroy the family, everything else gets destroyed. Because if we have a healthy family, guess what? We might have healthy neighbors, and if we have healthy neighbors, then where do we have? A healthy community, and if we have a healthy community, what do we have? A healthy city. If we have a healthy city, we have what? A healthy province and a healthy nation. He knows where, be- where to begin to attack, and he knows where he needs to attack each-, each of us as well. So again, I know there are massive Goliaths in our life, and I think David's story is a really important one for us to understand especially as you're developing your craft, whatever it is you're working on. Because there's some reality to that story. Do we know how long it took David to master that craft? Sitting in a field, shepherding the flock, day after day, grabbing a rock, putting it in a sling, and what's he doing? Missing by 50 feet, doing it again, doing it again, doing it again, doing it again, doing it again. I mean, David went through a lot. I'm sure he was sitting there some days, especially when his brothers are off fighting in battle, thinking, I'm nobody. I just sit here and I tend the sheep and I don't really do nothing. I throw my rocks. That's all I do every day. It seems monotonous. It doesn't seem like I'm really doing too much. And I think, man, there is something we can pull from that. Because we all live, to an extent, a monotonous life, right? We do the same things over and over again. And I know some of us are sitting in this room going, why do I have to keep doing the same things over and over again? Well, because I believe God's got you in a process. He knows what your craft is. He knows what your gift is. And he's trying to prepare you for something, something amazing. Because again, as I said, in order for the church to accomplish its tasks and its goals, it's not about me, it's not about Mark, it's about an entire body. That when the entire body of Jesus Christ comes to that place where they understand who they are, their strengths, their giftings, all that stuff, and they start to master their craft, 
How long have you spent mastering your craft? Whatever it is. Again, I know how long this man has mastered his craft. And sometimes we despise it because sometimes it doesn't look as good as some of the other people's. Right? That one looks way better. We talked about this already, but, I mean, it's, again, it's just like football. Right, Kelsey? Who gets all the glory? The quarterback. The winner, yes. <laughs> the quarterback, though. Right? These guys I know, they know every quarterback's name probably in the NFL, right? And backwards. Do you know every offensive lineman's name in the NFL? He doesn't. Right? Again, this is the whole point. That quarterback is useless without his offensive lineman. Again, we are all needed to accomplish the task at hand. There is a task in front of us. And he's asking each of you, right? And we're going through certain things. And this is a key part, right? David had to convince Saul of something. I'm ready to do this. What are you talking about? You're just a little boy. I have fought what? I have fought lions and bears in my life. I have taken a club to their head and I have taken them down. Right? He has built faith in his life because he's taken down the lions and the bears in his life. I can take down this Philistine. He's not even thinking twice about it. Because he's actually gone through some hard stuff. Now, I guarantee you this. The first time he was fighting those lions and the bears... Do you think he was excited about it? I don't think he was at all. I think he was scared out of his mind. I think it was one of the hardest things he had ever done. He's fighting for his life. And he's fighting for his flock. But he's willing to go to battle, no matter what. And Saul looks at him and says, yeah, you've been through some stuff, David. You're right. You might be able to do this. Oh, yeah, I can do this. Let's him go into battle. And I love the fact because David didn't walk into battle, did he? He ran into battle. That's what it says. He ran into battle. Because he went in what? The name of the Lord, right? He went in the name of the Lord. He knew who he was. He had seen what the Lord can do. Now, Max, I love this guy so much. Max had a lion in his life. That lion, that bear was addiction. That's a big one. Three months, that addiction is gone. Right? Now, Max doesn't realize it, but he's working on his craft. Throw that second picture up I have. This is Wednesday night here at the church. At prayer. I'm not stalking you, Max. I was standing right behind Max, right there. And I looked down, and I just saw this picture. And I thought to myself, there's no way I can't take this photo right now. Right? Here is this guy on a Wednesday night. He could be doing a billion things, all those other crafts that we can work on, whatever they are. Here's Max sitting down on that chair, reading the Word of God. Working on his craft. For what? We don't know. I'll tell you this. When David was bringing those ham and cheese sandwiches to his brothers, probably not ham. I know. 
but it sounds better. All right? Turkey and cheese. Are we better? Okay. I know. Don't write the whole message off because I said ham. All right? I don't even know what I was saying now. He did not know he was about to fight a Philistine giant. He had no clue. None. He just saw the problem and said, I can take care of that right now. His moment arose in that moment, right then and there. And I will guarantee you something right now. A moment will arise where whatever it is, that craft that God has got you focusing on. Some of you are saying, it's been 40, 50 years for me. Talk to the children of Israelite. Right? They went 40 years. God taught them a lot, man. He taught them, you cannot worship idols. You cannot do that. It does not work. Right? He taught them a ton of stuff. Mastering their crafts. Learning. Think about this one. Even the wise men. I thought about this. Mastering their craft of astronomy for one moment. Oh. For one moment, I don't know how old they were. For that moment, one of the most important moments in time. Joseph mastering his craft. I mean, we can go on and on and look at all the stuff Joseph had to go through. If you don't know about Joseph, read about Joseph. Right? I know everybody has gone through the stuff, the lion and the bear moments whether it's addiction, whether it's financial issues, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's marriage issues, it doesn't matter. You have been through a lot, but God is at work, and I'm telling you something. As you overcome the lions, as you overcome the bears in your life, God is preparing you for a next phase in your journey. When will it be? It doesn't matter. We just need to be ready, just like David was. Ready to run into battle with our slingshot, which doesn't make sense. How many stones did he bring with him? Why? (laughs) Goliath had brothers. (laughs) Good point. Maybe. Or maybe he'll miss. Right? He was prepared for the moment too. And this is something. Sometimes we're not prepared for the moment. I don't care if it's at Superstore or at work. God's wanting us to be prepared for the moment. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's tomorrow. But are we ready to run into that battle? I've got four minutes. So here's the temptation. Because we fall into this, I would say, a bit of a mindset because of the struggles and the stuff going on in life, right? All that. There are four things I'm going to give you real quick that I think we can fall into. Right? Four things. One of them is this. Is as we're going through the crafting season, whatever it is that God is doing. Again, some of us are not happy with the season we're in. The stuff we're going through. Here are the four things we've got to watch out for. Number one, we don't fall asleep. Right? Apathy kicks back in. I don't have any plans. I I have nothing. I'm not being called. God doesn't want to use me. I'm nothing, right? I mean, there are many comfortable people, and we know this, but those comfortable people are miserable, right? Because it isn't about comfort. We all have a calling in our life. You can have the most comfortable life and still be miserable. 
You can be living on the beaches of Hawaii and you won't be satisfied. Becoming discouraged. Right? Once discouragement sets in, man, when you grab onto that one and hold onto it with everything on you, it just shuts you down and it leads to the next one, right? Which is isolation. We begin to isolate from family. We begin to isolate from the body of Christ. It's too hard. He won't use me. I don't want to be part of this. These are all the temptations. And let me tell you something. They're all seeds planted by the enemy. Because his goal again is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to separate you from one another. That is his plan. And the last one I have is this, is becoming sidetracked. That whole thing of, oh, look at that shiny apple over there. Yeah, that'll change your life. You'll have value. You'll have importance. You'll have everything if you go take that apple. That's a temptation for all of us. If God isn't going to do this, oh, that looks so, I'm going over there. I'm staying here. I like this one. Now, let me tell you something, man. This for me, and I've shared this in this church, right? I have had to fast hockey. I've had to fast sports because I've made it an idol in my life. There are certain things that we have made idols, those shiny apples. And those shiny apples, again, we think give us what? Value, a place in the world. Whatever it is, they're not bad, but if they become idols, they are bad. If they take more of your time and your focus than giving it to Jesus, there is an issue and a problem. And so this is one of the things we do when we're not satisfied and happy. I'm going to challenge you in your journey to pursue the king relentlessly. Just like Max does on a Wednesday night. I just love that. Part of it is just showing up. Whether you're here on a Wednesday or you show up at whatever it is that you need to show up at. I think the reality is this, right? In the church, one of the things I think sometimes we make the mistake of is we're constantly comparing. Your turn will come when it comes. Let's lay that one down. All right? Let's just put that one down. Let's not forsake God's training gown. Let him do what he's doing. And I'm going to tell you, don't run anywhere but to him. It may not make sense what's going on in your journey like those lions and bears didn't. But run to him. And as you run to him, you'll see the picture unfold later on in life. And when that moment happens, what I'm excited about is who's the next Max? Who's the next testimony? Who's the next person that's going to come up? Because you just had a David moment. Right? Why don't we stand to our feet? Father, whatever it takes, God, I want to be ready for the David moments. I don't want to be in a place where I'm constantly criticizing where I'm at in my journey, where I'm always discontent. I want to shift my attention from what I don't have and what's not going right to, I just want you. And I want to say yes whenever the moment arises. 
in whatever you're training me for, whether it's just to throw one rock, I'll throw the one rock. Whether it's to play the piano for 40 years, I'll play the piano for 40 years. Whether it's to hold the back door to church and just shake someone's hand, I'll do that too. Whether it's bringing soup to my neighbor, nobody else knows about it, don't care. I'll do it every single day. God, where we have looked at these small things and despised them, we won't despise them any longer. Taking care of the flock. That's what we're called to do day by day until the moment happens where you've just asked us to increase our faith just a little bit today because there's a Goliath in front of you. So God, take us to the place where we'll be just like David. We won't turn, run, and hide. We won't complain. We won't criticize. We'll pick up our sword. We'll pick up our slingshot. We'll pick up whatever it is that we need to pick up. And in the name of the Lord, we'll take care of business. Let me say something. It doesn't matter what's happened the last five years, the last two years. It doesn't matter what the government's done. It doesn't matter what anybody's done. The left or the right aren't going to change the world. The NDP, the conservatives, are not going to change the world. The church is. That's it. We will not put our trust in the things that aren't going to change the world. We will put our trust in a king that will change everything. In a moment, in a blink of an eye, everything shifts. Someone's life is transformed. Just like Max's was two years ago. Just like I know some of you in this room right now, that same things happened to you. Everything changed because of a moment. And sometimes that moment happened because somebody else decided to be brave, to take a risk, to stand up for the king. Not to live in their pain anymore, but to live in faith. Scary as it is, trusting that you will follow through. So Lord, be with each of us today as we go. Speak to us how you need to speak to us. May we not only master our craft, may we start to step in and step up. The Lord is trying to graduate us to another level. And I don't say that in a way of, well, this person's better than that person. That's not what it's about. He's trying to get us closer to Him. Because then it changes. Oh, Jesus. Can we say amen?